0: Good morning, man. Good to see you today. Good to be with you. You know, if you've seen the movie, The Prince of Egypt, you know it ends at the best part of the movie right after the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, We saw last week uh, the people sang praise to God, the credits rolled. But after the Red Sea parted, the big family vacation got a little bit intense. Uh, Just out of curiosity, I wonder how many of you really love to go on vacation with your families in a car. I, uh, remember uh, growing up that my, my dad had a Rambler station wagon. Now, that was a very fine car. Not everybody had a Rambler station wagon, but we did. And uh, that was an AMC before there was AMC. And we would head out across the country. One time we drove from Alaska to Florida. No kidding. Uh, we drove all the way from, you know, the, the great uh, northwest to the southeast. And some years ago, Melanie and I set out. You know, this was my pattern. So we set out on a very restful vacation. We were going to New Mexico uh, over at Glorietta, and uh, I remember our boys were small. Graham was like a toddler, and Chase was a, a baby. And uh, unfortunately, Melanie had set out uh, the groceries, uh, the snacks for the trip the night before, and we were going to make s'mores over there, over the, the campfire. Graham ate a whole bag of, of marshmallows the night before we left. This is our toddler, and uh, from mile after mile, going across the desert of West Texas, he shrieked and moaned. Uh, he uh, had... Um, some constipation issues, and uh, every once in a while, Melon and I would look at each other and say, are we having fun yet? I mean, is this what fun is? We just needed to know. I think even worse was when we decided to take a couple cars out of town when Hurricane Rita was coming in, and uh, we spent about 10 hours getting to Brenham. You know how, how long it takes to get to Brenham? It took us 10 hours, and uh, we get to Brenham. We're almost out of gas. There's a little town outside of Brenham called Industry. Anybody know? It's not industry. It's industry. I think uh, Steve Young's got a place out there pretty close to that place. And, uh, you know, when we got there and we finally made it to 290, we realized we'd been on the road 10 hours and we could go back to, to Houston in an hour, you know. And uh, it was like one of those moments. And I remember my family looking at me going, Dad, let's just go home. This was a really bad idea. And uh, we didn't we didn't go back. After seven more hours, we arrived in Temple, Texas. And so um, I guess the big question on those trips is, are we there yet? You know, have we, have we arrived yet? And uh, I think about this little boy named Larry who uh, kept agitating his parents, saying, are we almost there, are we almost there? And his dad finally looked at him and said, don't ask me anymore. It will be a long time before we get there. And this little six-year-old boy looked at his dad and said, will I still be six when we get there? <laughs> You've had those experiences. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to multiply those experiences by a million people. And you understand Moses' dilemma. You think people have leadership issues. Here's Moses trying to lead a million people across the desert. All of them saying, not just are we there yet, but why did we leave in the first place? And I want you to hear that in Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 8. Uh, they're, they're forever asking, can we go back to Egypt? you remember the Keith Green song back in the 80s? So you want to go back to Egypt. You know, uh, they, they uh, got tired of the manna and they wanted to go back home. Let's stand together as we read God's Word this morning. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. It says, The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, "'If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death.' Then the Lord said to Moses, "'I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions.' And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when He gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because He has heard your grumbling against Him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. You may be seated. If you lead an organization, you know what it's like. These people, if they weren't uh, moaning, they were groaning. If they weren't mumbling, they were grumbling. A month and a half had passed. Forty-five days, if you read it. And on this 45-day journey, after God delivered Israel from Egypt, led them into the desert, they failed to trust Him for the most minute details of their lives, for food food. And water that's no small problem in the desert, I understand. But just remember, this is the God who has already parted the Red Sea for them. And if you think about it, a God who can part the Red Sea and cause His people to walk across on dry ground is well able to provide for the minute needs of food and water. But the Israelites move very quickly from worship to worry. They are in absolute despair. They are wringing their hands and they are wearing Moses out. And it's been well said that it took God only a year to get His people out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of his people. How does God get sin and groaning and mumbling out of the lives of his people today? I guess it depends on where Egypt is on your map. We sometimes suffer from destination disease. We think, you know, if I were only in that place or that situation, or if I only still worked for that company, or if I were only still in that relationship, then everything would be great. And we, we tend to idealize the past But if we could only get back to where we used to live, everything would be great, we think. But if if Egypt, for Israel, metaphorically represents the past sins to which we wish to return, I wonder, where is Egypt for you? Where is that place where you were outside the will of God that you say, Oh, if only I were back there. There's always a temptation for those who have placed their trust in Christ to remember with fondness the days before Christ. Um, How do we overcome the desire to go back to Egypt? It's amazing that after all God has done for us in saving us from our sins and filling us with His Spirit and empowering us to do His work, that sometimes it's the little bitty details that make us worry. And we sort of fixate on those and we forget to focus on God who is bigger still. Our lives are far better than they ever were before we came to know Christ. So how do we get over Egypt? Well, first we have to repent and turn away from the pleasures and problems of the past. You see that in verses 1 to 3. And you know Israel really had a problem with this. In fact, if you remember back in chapter 14, um, verses 10 to 12, um, they say, before they cross the Red Sea, we wish we had stayed in Egypt. This becomes a familiar refrain. So in 16 chap- chapter 16, verse 3, when they're hungry... They say, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, then we wouldn't have starved to death in the desert. Chapter 17, I didn't read it to you, but uh, they get thirsty. The first they're hungry, then they're thirsty. Why did you bring us out of Egypt so that we could die of thirst with our children? In Numbers chapter 14, they're standing on the very brink of the promised land that God has offered to them, and they say, we think we would rather go back to Egypt. And uh, it's always a temptation, I think. And they were more interested in food than in following God. They were more interested in water than in walking with God, more interested in Egypt than in the eternal one. They had a long but somewhat faulty memory of the benefits of life there and a short memory of their bondage there. You hear what they're saying is, we would rather have the food we had and be slaves than to be free and be hungry. In Exodus chapter 16, they speak of the pots of meat which they had back in Egypt. And I think they probably idealized that in Numbers eleven five. They said, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. It's amazing how trivial their reasoning was. Once you check into the Lord's restaurant, you can't order from the world's menu anymore. It would be like going to Taste of Texas and asking for a Big Mac. They don't serve them there. When Satan tempted uh, Jesus to turn stones into bread, Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus was able to sustain himself in that time of need by recognizing his uh, heavenly Father's greater provision. But Philippians chapter three, verse eighteen says, "Some people's God is their belly—that is, their immediate desires. If if I can just have my immediate desires met, then—and um, the problem with filling up on uh, the things that the world offers is that ultimately uh, they may temporarily satisfy, but they don't really." fulfill our needs. Greg Laurie tells about a man who was upset over the high co- cost of oats uh, that he fed to his mule, so gradually he began to substitute a little bit of sawdust in the animal's diet. The, the, the mule didn't know any different, and everything seemed to be going along fine until the day the mule keeled over, because the mule was satisfied with the sawdust. He had a full stomach. He had received no nourishment, though, and he died. What if we filled up on the food of the world and starved to death spiritually, there's a great danger in that. James talks about it. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Um, in 1 John chapter 2, it says, do not love the, the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, that's the lust of the flesh, if you have the King James Version. The lust of the eyes, the boasting of what we have and do does not come from the Father, but from the world. And so my point is, there's some things when you follow Christ that you have to repent of in order to go forward. If you're constantly idealizing the past, that's a dangerous thing. A wise old Jewish rabbi was asked by his students, Rabbi, what is the best day to repent? And the rabbi said, always repent on the last day of your life. And several of the students said, "But Rabbi, we can never be sure which day will be our last day. And the rabbi said, well then, you need to do it today. And I can think of no better time than today for us to turn away from those things which would distract us. In fact, you know, I think about um, those men of God. A friend of mine who's a pastor here in town who fasts one lunch a week so that he can pray for his kids. And so in a very tangible way, he's putting aside physical food so that he can focus on the spiritual needs of his family. And I was wondering what it would be like if you and I made a similar commitment to that. Maybe for us it's giving up an hour of TV on an evening so that we can pray. But just turning away, that's what repentance is. It's changing your mind. It's changing your direction. And uh, we are careful to make sure that we watch all our favorite shows. We're careful to eat all our food. We don't miss a meal. And as a consequence, we're always full physically. We're always sort of uh, got everything we need physically. But I wonder if sometimes we don't compromise the spiritual For the sake of the physical, the temporal does not replace the eternal. The second thing I'd say to you is that we have to remember what God has done for us. In verses 6 to 8, Moses reminds him, he says, God has brought you out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. God has taken care of your needs. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Satan does not fill us with hatred for God, but rather with forgetfulness of God. So we forget God. Bonhoeffer was that that great uh, leader in Germany back during... World War II, who opposed Hitler and uh, was imprisoned because of it and lost his life. In fact, one of our men went to the church where he preached recently and brought me back a a picture of a plaque that's on the wall there that says, Here, Dietrich Bonhoeffer preached before he gave his life at Flossenburg uh, in April of 1945. Bonhoeffer had a lot of wisdom. Satan doesn't fill us with hatred of God, but with forgetfulness of God. And, you know, they had a very short memory in remembering what God had done for them. We all struggle with that sometimes, um, you know, forgetting things that are important. One old farmer was sitting on the porch with his friend reflecting on the merits of the favorite family dog. he says, best dog I've ever had. And uh, the friend said, yeah, what's his name? And the farmer pondered for a moment. He said, well, what's that, what's that long-stemmed flower with the petals and the thorns? And the man said, a rose? And he said, yeah, that's it. Hey, Rose, what do we call this old dog? And he didn't remember his wife's name, much less the dog's name. And who could forget the name of their spouse? but Israel forgot the nature of the God who had cared for them. The third thing I'd say to you this morning is that we rely on God and trust him to provide for all of our needs. There's a delight in loving God more than his created world and trusting him to provide for all of our needs. So as believers in Christ, we can't go back to our pre-Christian days, nor would we want to if we could. It's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. so if we seek Him first, God provides for our spiritual needs. So in Numbers chapter 14, verse 23, when they refused to receive God's gracious gift, God said, okay, if you want to go back to Egypt, you, you can't go back to Egypt, but you can't go into the promised land either. And uh, it took, again, 40 years for God to get Egypt out of His people. This process is called sanctification, where God is constantly conforming us to the image of His Son. And uh, it means Moving forward with Christ. It's why Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you can't look back. You can't turn back and go the way you used to go. The Australian coat of arms pictures two creatures, the emu and the kangaroo. And the Australians will tell you, we pick those two animals because neither one of them is physically able to go backwards. Uh, the emu, because it has these three toes in the front, if it tries to go backwards, will actually fall And the kangaroo is prevented by its tail from going backwards. Luke 9, 62 says, We who follow Christ can never go backward. I have decided to follow Jesus, the song says. No turning back. So once we seek first God for our spiritual needs, then we can trust God to take care of our temporal needs. This is what Jesus promises. All these things will be added to you. And if you just read the story in Exodus, what you see is, God gives them bread. And when bread's not enough, he provides meat for them. And when they're thirsty, he provides water. I mean, he brings it out of a rock. God created the world. He is well able to provide for our needs. And some of our trouble, men, is that we we sometimes say, well, I just don't don't like this particular job, or I don't like this income, or I don't like this relationship. And we sort of uh, mumble and grumble about that. And really, we're not griping about the company. We're not griping about the business climate. We're not griping about our wives. What we're really doing is griping about God. We're questioning whether or not God has really provided for our needs. And that's a dangerous place for us to be. I think we're all there sometimes, but we don't need to be there. Listen to Jesus' promise. All these things will be added to you. He gave His people manna and quail and, and, and water and... So we don't have to be afraid. I want you to hear what Paul said to the church at Rome. He said, if God is for us, literally if you translate that from the Greek, it's since God is for us, who can be against us? And then listen to the next verse. This is my friend Lester Collins, who pastored here for 20 years. This is his favorite verse. Um, If God gave up his only son for us, how will he not also along with him freely give us all things. In other words, if God would give up his only son for us, don't you know that he will provide for all of our needs? So uh, Paul would say to Timothy, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. It's one of my favorite stories about a small congregation in the foothills of the Great Smoky Mountains. They built a new sanctuary on a piece of land that was willed to them by a church member. But 10 days before the building was to open, the local building inspector informed the pastor that the parking lot was inadequate for the size of the building. Does this sound familiar to you? Uh, We're parking up here so that we can worship down there. And uh, until the church doubled the size of the parking lot, they said, you will not be able to use the new sanctuary. Unfortunately, the church with its undersized parking lot had used every inch of land except for a mountain against which uh, the building had been built. And in order to, to build more parking spaces, they'd have to move the mountain out of their backyard undaunted the pastor announced the next morning that he would meet that evening with all members who had mountain moving faith they would hold a prayer session asking god to remove the mountain from the backyard to somehow provide enough money to have it paved and painted before the scheduled opening dedication service the following week at the appointed time fully 24 of the congregation's 300 members showed up to pray for the mountain to be moved they prayed for three hours and at 10 o'clock the pastor said amen and uh He said, we will open next Sunday a schedule. God has never failed us, and he will not let us down now. And the next morning, as he was working in his study, there came a loud knock at the door. And he said, come in, and uh, construction foreman walked in the door and said, listen, I work for a construction company over in the other county. We're building a a huge shopping mall, and we need some fill dirt. And what I wanted to ask you is, is there any way that you'd be willing to sell us a chunk of that mountain behind the church? And if you'll sell us a chunk of that mountain... um, then we will pave the area that we take the mountain from and uh, at no cost to you. And uh, we, we need to do it soon because we can't do anything else on the, on the mall until we get the dirt uh, to, to allow it to, to settle in properly. And the, the little church was dedicated the next Sunday as originally planned. And that Sunday, there were far more members with mountain-moving faith than there had been the previous week. So we turn from our past. We trust God for the future. And He provides. Believe me, men, when I say, you don't ever want to go back to Egypt. I'm not talking about the geographical location. That's a great country in its own right. But we don't want to go back to the past. We want to walk into the future trusting God to provide every day in every way. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this good day. Thank You for these men. Thank You, God, that You are with us. And if You are with us, and if You are for us, It doesn't matter who's against us. And since you didn't spare your own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will you not also along with him freely give us all things? Teach us to trust, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good day.